0: Welcome to Obsessed with Design, a show about what makes designers tick. I'm your host, Josh Miles. Today on Obsessed with Design, I'm chatting with Jason Schubach, director of the design school at Arizona State University. We nerd out a bit on the new Black Panther movie and how getting kicked out of a lab led Jason to his obsession with design. As an advisory, if you have sensitive ears in the room today, there's a little bit of adult language. So without further ado, please enjoy my conversation with Jason Schubach. Okay, kids, today on Obsessed with Design, I'm chatting with Jason Schubach, and his bio reads like this. Nerd. Interested in where design, arts, community development, urban planning, social impact, Innovation, Entrepreneurship, and Philanthropy meet. He's the former Director of Design and Creative Placemaking at the NEA, and today he's the Director of the Design School at Arizona State University. And Jason, well, I can't wait to dig into those roles. First, let me welcome you all the way from Arizona, Jason Schubach. Thanks for being on Obsessed with Design.
1: I am obsessed with design, so I'm really happy to be here. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Well, then you qualify for the show. Congratulations.
1: Awesome. First, first pass.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So you and I got introduced um, by our mutual friend and design producer at a little company called Twitter, Mr. Josh Silverman. So if you haven't listened to that one, check out episode 88. But Josh, thanks for the introduction. And uh, Jason, I'm glad we both know Josh.
1: Yeah, he's a truly awesome human. So do yourself a favor and go listen to Josh.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So I always enjoy learning about origin stories. So I'm curious in particular how you found yourself in the design industry and, uh, you know, the interesting seats that you've been in so far in your career and how you got started. So tell us a little bit about your origin story.
1: Gosh, with Black Panther coming out, I wish it was a lot more interesting than it actually is. Uh, uh, I'm obsessing about something right now. Um, all that Afro afrofuturism design that's happening, and that is just making me so happy um okay, so I was an environmental water chemist in a previous life, and I was a terrible chemist. I got kicked out of a lab once, <laughs> so i uh, you know I was always walking around and talking about cities and talking about art, and finally, my husband said. Said to me, um, would you just please go to city planning school and shut up? So <laughs> I think it came out of marital annoyance. Um, my career. Uh, <laughs> so I looked, and I was very lucky. I was in Massachusetts, and I was very fortunate to get into MIT and go to city planning school there. And about halfway through city planning school was when Richard Florida, whether or not you li- agree with his theories about mm-hmm. creative mm-hmm. cities, I have my issues with them, kind of did launch a great deal of interest in the role of creativity and creative people, designers and artists, in making better cities. And I. And I hopped on that bad wagon. And my career has really been about that. I sort of found that in my soul, I was put on this earth to help creative people succeed and to help them make the world a better place through their creativity. So I've been very fortunate to have a lot of jobs in that. I worked at local, state, and national level on that, those issues. And, you know, it's called off kinds of different things. You know, the latest iteration was kind of social impact design or humanitarian design and creative placemaking. I also did some foundation work in the meantime. So I've been at a really I've had this sort of incredibly privileged and fortunate career where I've got to sit in a lot of conversations talking about what does it mean to support the creative life of America. And I've done a I'm kind of that's my jam. I know how to do that. So now I'm trying to do it from a school. I'm trying now I'm trying to do it at the biggest design school in the country trying to figure out what that means. But it's 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 been a really wonderful ride and adventure. I don't really have a superpower besides helping other people use their superpower. Is that a superpower? <laughs>
0: well, I I definitely feel like we should go back in time and thank whoever it was that kicked you out of the the lab so that you know you wouldn't <laughs> be here today if it wasn't for that, right?
1: Yeah, I don't remember their name, but it was because I totally screwed up experiments. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's probably a story for a different day. But I once got uh, dismissed from forklift duties. So I can, I can certainly, <laughs> I feel like I'm Relate, getting kicked yeah. out of the lab. Exactly. I want to know about this director of design and creative placemaking program, because I mean, just, I, I can wrap my head around what that is, but I'm, I'm curious to hear how that was actually done and, and kind of what that role entailed.
1: Yeah. Um, so the National Endowment for the Arts is not an endowment. Unfortunately, <laughs> there is no endowment there. It is a federal agency. It's one of, I think, 60 federal agencies that support design. Or procure design in some way. Uh, the federal government is very sort of distributed in that way. So the endowment is primarily a granting and program agency supporting the creative life of the country. There's the National Endowment for the Humanities, which supports humanities stuff, and the Endowment for the Arts, primarily supports arts and artists and designers to do projects. And that's a very everything you could ever imagine being funded that an artist or designer might do is really within the purview of the, the NEA. So there is no design council in the United States like some countries have that supports design. All that lives in this design program at the NEA. So it includes things like grants to non- the NEA. Really, primarily makes grants to nonprofits. So grants to nonprofits like the Gulf Coast Community Design Center, which is doing you know community design projects, architecture and landscape architecture based projects to improve the Gulf Coast, or DRev, which is uh, run by an amazing woman, Krista Donaldson. That she should be on your show, which is a nonprofit that's developing mostly healthcare-based products for the the majority of the world that can't afford them. So there are like a nonprofit who's developing industrial design products, products like Design That Matters, which is another grantee. Or there's really incredible grantees like Catapult Design, which is working on the Navajo Nation. Heather Fleming, who runs that, she's part Navajo. And she discovered that it takes 7 years to get a business license on the, on the Navajo reservation. <laughs> so she's actually using design thinking processes to shorten that and to help entrepreneurs. Um, so there's a real, or, you know, it also funds the the culture shed that's happening um, on the Highline in New York City. We paid for a portion of the design of that, right? It was mm-hmm. like paying for a design uh, by Dulles, and Renfo. That job is also supposed to be really at the center of supporting and keeping the creative life of the design, design of the country going. So there's a lot of behind the scenes work that happens where you're, we had conferences or webinars or all different kinds of things to kind of support the culture of design in the country. So like, we worked with our research department to produce the first ever federal report analyzing data on industrial designers in the country. And then we did a follow-up report on how industrial design might help with manufacturing. Or, So that was sort of the design side of the shop. We also ran things like the Mayor's Institute on City Design, which trained mayors on city design. 30-year project that's changed the face of America, but never really know it because it's hard to talk about what actually happens in that room. We Mm -hmm. help a mayor understand they have a lot of design power. Um, and then the creative placemaking work kind of came when I got there for years, you know, sort of thanks to uh, Richard Florida's work and many, 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 many other writers' work, uh, Mark Stern, uh, Susan Seifert, and and Sinangadwa. There was a lot of research and a lot of work that had been done for years on how do we support the role of artists beyond designers, artists and designers in the community development processes. So... If you look at traditional community development, uh, art, you know, it has certain things it does really well. You you, you have to kind of do a million things at once to get anything done in a community. You have to have a transportation strategy and a housing strategy and environmental strategy and all those things. And the cultural strategy was really left off the table a lot. Like there wasn't a lot of sophistication in in community development fields about how to work with artists, right? Like what do you pay an artist and Mm -hmm. how do I engage them beyond just a piece of public art? Like there's so much more you can do. Artists can work on public planning process itself. You've seen that show Parks and Rec, right?
0: Mm-hmm, yes.
1: Yeah. So, like, there's really bad <laughs> community meetings in that show. Like, those like community meetings in real life are actually worse than that. So, <laughs> a lot of the times. And so, like, you know, art we gave grants to. Flint, Michigan, this is before the water crisis, to embed artists in neighborhoods as part of a planning process. And they use like theater and dance to hold community meetings. So, that, I mean, there's a lot of things artists and designers can do is to, to help in community development. And there's not a lot of sophistication in that field. So it was really about, creative kind of placemaking is really about normalizing the role of artists and, and designers uh, and their creative process, which is not a normal thing into equitable community development. And really, that equitable word was really essential to us. We were working really hard to try to deal with a lot of the inequities in our society. So it was a big job. There were just four of us there doing a lot of that work um, in my program, Mm. helped by another many, many other people across the agency and across the country. And we worked really hard to build a network of folks who... And support a network of folks who are really trying to make this country better. If you want to feel better about... I know there's so much bad news out there right now. If you want to feel good about life, go spend some time on the NEA website and look at the design and creative place making grants and other grants the NEA is making. And man, you're going to really quickly feel good about how hard people are working to make this country better. It's it's It was an exhilarating place to work. It was awesome.
0: And only with four people. I'm kind of curious how that team was shaped or, or what, the, what the different roles of the team looked like.
1: Yeah, so there was me. I'm not being totally fair. There was more than four. Um, So there was myself. There was someone who managed all the design grants and design research and support programs Um, Courtney Spearman. Uh, There's Jen Hughes, who's now the acting director, who managed all the creative placemaking relationships and special projects. So we did a lot of TA projects. We had a lot of projects working with other federal agencies. Jen managed a very important role, kind of paying attention to how we pushed the whole creative placemaking field forward. And then Catherine Bray-Simons, who was managing the Our Town grant program and a bunch of other stuff too. And then we had several, uh, many, many administrative support staff that supported us in, our, in like the grant making process. Four people was not a fair number. Let me try. <laughs> there's actually a lot a lot of people working really hard at that agency to help. But just the team that I managed was four people. But there's a lot of people, a lot of stuff going on behind the scenes. Grant making is not a simple thing. So you know, to get that $20,000 grant out the door takes a lot of effort and a lot of people writing guidelines and attending to federal rules and all kinds of stuff. So that, you know, if you haven't sent a love, it's Valentine's day, send some love to the NEA. They need your love. (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) They're working hard for America.
0: I mean, speaking of which I know there was at least, um, I don't do the best at staying up on the politics, but I know there was some proposals on the table that sounded like it was going to greatly defund what was happening there. Would that be directly impactful to what this group's up to?
1: Uh, Yeah. Absolutely. I think that if you care about design and design being funded by the federal government, you need to support the NEA. You should also just pay attention to the federal funding process. The president's budget is not a budget that actually gets done. Congress really controls the purse string. So mm-hmm. it's important that you, I guess, am I allowed to talk about advocacy now? I guess I am. No, I don't work at the NEA anymore. I have this like,
0: oh, sure. Yeah, let's do it.
1: <laughs> I have this like resistance to doing that because I wasn't allowed to do it as a federal employee. Uh, yeah, I mean, right to your congressman, it matters. Call them. Calling is much better than writing. Pick up the phone and call them. Or sh- better yet, show up locally, and uh, that it matters to the NEA to be sustained that way. It does. Or, or whatever topic you care about. I mean, you do need to be in touch with your congresspeople. They do pay attention when people are calling or,
0: or talking to them. Yeah, I mean, a couple of years ago, when you would get like a handwritten letter in the mail, that was like so jarring that like, oh, someone used paper and ink, and and today it's like, mm-hmm. uh, some my phone is ringing. A person is voice calling me.
1: <laughs> yeah. They have staff who pick up the phone and have to record what the call is about. You're not going to get the congressperson, but they have staff people who literally sit there and pick up the phone all day. And they want to hear from you, man. They're sick of hearing mm-hmm. from the same five people in their district. Yeah. Um, it's called democracy. It's called being an active participant in democracy. I mean, no matter what you believe, right? Like you might, it's not going to happen unless you participate and we all talk together. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> this is not a show about democracy or the democratic process. <laughs> Let's talk <laughs> about design. <laughs>
0: Let's talk about how a bill becomes a law. Yeah, exactly. No, I, I think... <laughs> well, maybe shifting gears ever so slightly just to your new role. I mean, first of all, congratulations. I've had a little um, pleasure of teaching a little bit like adjunct faculty stuff for a few different programs in the past. So I might have a little bit more insight about just what teaching is like, but tell me about ASU especially for those that are not familiar with the design program just set us up a little bit for what you're walking into over there.
1: Sure, so ASU is the largest uh university public university in the country. We have 100,000 students. We have 70,000 in person and 30 30,000 online and the online education thing is like mind-blowing. But uh I came here because the president of uh, my Michael Crow who's literally a genius said many times over that we're in a weird industry in education, where uh, we rank our success based on who we can exclude. And that is wrong. If you just look at what's going on in the country, schools always brag, they only take like 2% of their applicants, right? Mm -hmm. And that is not going to change the injustice and inequities in our society for only continuing to educate the most privileged or the most sort of lucky, right? Mm -hmm. And so this is a site, of really trying to truly change that game. We have the most number of minority students in the country. We have the most number of Native American students in the country. We graduate the most number of uh, kids that are the first kids in their family to go to college. You know, we graduate a lot of them. We take B students. I think there's, and I was a B student in undergrad. (laughs) I mean, in in high school, (laughs) I'm glad I got into the University of Chapel Hill. I wouldn't get into it now, right? They don't take B students anymore, probably. And so uh, I feel like I wanted to be part of somewhere that had equity built into its basis, right? That like everybody deserves a quality education. And then my Dean, Dean Tepper is known as a person who's really trying to change the game on design and arts policy in the country and to push the field forward. And I just, there's a lot of really smart people showing up on these shores at, at ASU because of that mission. And it is like being on a rocket ship here, man. So I, uh, I just felt like I wanted to be part of that. It feels a, sort of a lot like the beginning of the Obama administration where like all these super part, smart people showed up to really kind of change the world.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And that's that's what's going on at ASU now. There's just like incredible stuff going on here. And so the design school is, uh, I think it's the largest and most comprehensive design school in the country. That's what we like to say. It teaches everything from architecture, landscape architecture, interior architecture, graphic design. Uh, sorry, visual communication design. This faculty will kill me for saying graphic design. Um, and... Uh, industrial design, urban design, design studies, design research, we teach a lot of different stuff and I was hired to redesign the design school, you know, to 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 really make this ASU has been recognized for 3 years now as the most innovative school in the country over at Stanford and MIT as we like to say. Um am I bragging enough? This has like been like a serious brag section of the of the interview. Um and uh <laughs> feel free to edit any brag. <laughs> and we're serious we really want to try the best we can to 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 build a school that's i was hired i said to them i want to build a design school that's relevant collaborative and equitable and they said yes
0: so i said yes yeah that's that's awesome i i have to imagine that you're um when you get all these smart people in the room with that big of a challenge you know just thinking through the i don't even know if ethics is the right word but like how do you have the best school and the biggest program in you know let more people in and not exclude people like you said just on the basis of who you're excluding but like how do you make that all work like to come in come in everybody (laughs) and then how do you you know most programs have you know a sophomore review or something like that a a mid a mid cycle kind of weeding out so like then that plays into the ethics of it too i'm sure
1: yeah, so we do have that currently. Um, that's something we're looking at um, as an issue. There, is only, there are only so many desks and so many buildings, right, to mm-hmm. do your designs on. If someone has figured out a way to teach studio online, I'm, I'm all ears. If anybody listening wants to e- email me, I would love to hear that. Uh, but like, we don't accept that you can't teach studio online. There's robotic gloves you can use. I mean, mm-hmm. like, let's go for it. So, uh, you know, those are huge challenges. And I think those are things we really want to try to take on if if you are going to try to really change the game in the design field, and let's be honest, the diversity in the design field sucks. I think it's mm-hmm. 15% of licensed architecture are women. I mean, what, you know, <laughs> um, 15% are, are women. That's ridiculous. And so, I mean, not to mention all the other racial things going on. So, you know, we have enormous challenges as a field. And if someone doesn't begin to take it on, we're not going to get anywhere. So I, you know, have we figured all that out yet? what, no, what we're doing right now is we want to listen. So, my mama said, You got two ears and one mouth, so shut up. Even though
0: I'm talking <laughs> a lot right now, you know, it's the right ratio.
1: Yeah, exactly. So, I'm we're going to launch this website called redesign.school. That's the website address. Just I am doing a little promotion here redesign.school, if you missed that, um, which will try to collect a lot of information about what the future of uh, design education should be and what we're hearing from everybody already cause even though we haven't launched the website we've been listening a little already is we need to change a lot and everybody agrees mm-hmm. that a lot of things need to change I'm really hoping we take some risks here you know it'd be great if we failed a couple times and other people learn from it you know mm-hmm. but you know if you, when you're at the most innovative university and you can't take risks I mean that's silly so we're listening when the website gets up we're going to listen to the end of the semester and then we're going to spend the summer coalescing the information and then literally start redesigning our curriculum in the fall. So none of that's going to be easy conversations, but we have to change. I mean, we all know that the status quo is not working on our society. And I don't, I mean, someone, please tell me that I'm wrong about that. I'd love to be proven wrong about that, but we got to do better.
0: Yeah. Uh, You know, when you said... Why can't we do studio online? Um, you know, one guy that I would encourage you to check out, who's been on the show before, is a guy named Chris Doe, and Chris is doing some really cool. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of his stuff is like more coaching freelancers on how to how to get paid, or you know, how to negotiate a contract, or how to how to um, you know work with a team. So he'd be a good one, perhaps to to tap to think about that. And then a guy named Michael Stinson was on, uh, maybe mm-hmm. a little over a year ago, teaches type ed in Los Angeles, um, you know, might be another good resource for you guys. Thank you. I appreciate that. Maybe we could unpack your role specifically. So, you know, are you spending time in the classroom versus more administrative stuff, more kind of design thinking or writing or speaking? I'm just kind of curious what a, what an average week looks like for you, if there even is such a thing.
1: Oh gosh. <laughs> I'm still figuring that. I've only, I found the bathroom. I've been here six months.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Congratulations.
1: I think, it, I mean, my role is basically a deanship role-ish because the way that ASU is organized, this, there's so many people here that a lot of the schools that are the size, like we're the size of another design school, but I'm a director, not a dean. It's, I, don't, I don't really care about the title. It doesn't make a difference to me. But so I think for people who you know, kind of know what a dean does, mm-hmm. I have a very similar type of role. So there's a lot of, fa- there's a lot of, Managing the school day to day stuff, which is stuff like tenure type stuff, facilities type stuff, staff management type stuff, you know, stu- all the stuff related. Of course, the stu- we're very student centric school, you know, managing and making sure that we're teaching and everything's all that, all that stuff's in line. That's a ton of work. I have a great staff who does a lot of that stuff. So I spend a lot more of my time working on bigger, because ASU is sort of special this way, there's a lot of uh, bigger conversations about how you can partner with interesting schools. So like we have a school of space exploration. We have a school for the future of innovation and in society. We have a school for we had the first sustainability school in the country. And it's now the largest. And the scale here is so insane. Like our business school is 20,000 students or engineering school is 25,000 students. I mean, these are the size of other universities, right? And so <laughs> yeah,
0: exactly.
1: I spend a lot of time figuring out how we can do cool projects together. I spend a lot of time uh, spending a lot of time on the redesign project right now. Spend a lot of time working with my amazing colleagues across. So the design school is part of this, the largest art and design institute in the country that has four other schools in it, music, art, arts, media, and engineering, and film, dance, and theater. And so we spend a lot of time talking about how to support creative people and do interesting projects that are going to really accelerate the field of art and design together. And then I work on totally crazy other random projects that come my way because Michael Crow is amazing. And makes amazing things happen. So which some of those are secret and can't talk about. But um, <laughs> uh, there's there's just a lot going on, man. I mean, I, I, somebody described it to me when I got this job that it was like being on a bullet train at ASU. And I was like, you know, it can't be that like that. It is literally like every day something lands in your lap. Like just today, I got an email from these people who are testing drones for emer- emergency management service people. So mm-hmm. they want to build like a fake city that like a fake, design and build a fake city that the drones can go around and make sure they can rescue people from fires and things.
0: Oh, that's so cool.
1: So they want to work with our architecture program to do that. And I was like, okay, that's today's crazy ASU thing. <laughs> Yay. You know? <laughs> and we had a big conversation about autonomous vehicles yesterday the day before. I mean it's banana pants here in a really good way.
0: Well, I think whether you've got exposure to uh the, the education world or, or even just to large organizations, I mean this this is just not typical for either that that a uh, university or a very large organization would move so quickly and be so dynamic. But I think that's that's awesome that that sounds like it's not the case at ASU.
1: I mean, it's still got all the typical academic stuff, uh, but, you know, that like any big bureaucracy moves slowish, but no, this is a very fast place. <laughs> you got to just hold onto your hat when you work here. And I think that there's, that there's that energy and excitement here, which is really amazing to be part of. And I'm still wrapping my head around all of it.
0: Oh, I'm sure. Well, you know, as you... Okay, these are my words. Maybe as you're trying to open the doors wider to the the students that are, you're bringing in, mm-hmm. how, there's still got to be some some things that you use to filter, uh, and maybe filters even not a fair word. But I'm just curious. You know what? What do you think makes a really great design student at ASU, or or where are those best students coming from?
1: I take issue with the word "best" <laughs> uh, because I don't think that's a very equitable word, but. Uh, I mean, certainly any student that's interested in design joins us for a freshman year where they get a chance to kind of, this is not the right word, but prove themselves a little mm-hmm. bit, right? So they, they have to maintain a certain GPA um, and then they apply uh, through something we call a milestone where they submit portfolios, so their, ability, their design abilities, and then we can let them into our accredited programs. So we have a set of accredited programs like in architecture, landscape architecture, things like that, that do have a barrier, right? We sort of need to show a certain kind of you mm-hmm. to get in. But the, you know, that's that's something after we work with you really hard for a year to see if you can really kind of prove yourself. I don't I don't really like that language. I need to find a better way to talk about it. Um, that doesn't mean we don't want to teach you design. And so we have a whole separate other program that's a general design degree where you're not learning a specific field, but you're kind of able to learn things like design thinking or design for social justice and that degree is something that is part of our redesign we really want to redesign to be a lot more multidisciplinary and a chance for other students across all of asu to come and get like design concentrations in design learn learn a little bit about how design thinkers think we have huge demand from schools all across the school to help teach them things about design like next week there's a bunch of master students coming and doing a whole design prototyping thing in our building from the business school so I, i i think that there as we redesign the design school and begin thinking about how we can serve more students who want to learn those specific fields that we also really do need to think about about you know we I think you your listeners probably are convinced that design process and the way designers think needs to be accessed more in the world mm-hmm. I think that that's something that's very well understood by a lot of people nowadays and I'm not sure that the educational system has caught up to provide that kind of access yet at least not here necessarily but I also sort of think generally a lot of design schools can be a little closed off i've seen a couple schools doing some amazing stuff kellogg just launched a degree and i think it's like it's at the business school and it's in design innovation Mm -hmm. which is totally amazing there's a whole degree in design innovation at business school and then um i really admire what doreen lorenzo just launched at university of texas it's a design a school for design and creative technologies which is amazing so so certainly some bright spots out there people are really innovating in education but um and we want to see how we can kind of learn from that and do our Arizona thing too. It's the Wild West. We like to do our own thing, <laughs> not not be told what to do.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I could definitely see the the carryover with you know like your engineering schools and uh, and of course the the business and MFA or design connection has been kind of a hot topic here for for at least ten years. So that's that's cool to see things actually happening in that space.
1: We have we are, we're part of this Art and Design Institute on the MFA thing. I mean. There's a lot of people co-teaching co and taking classes all over the place. There's some really fascinating classes that our students take, like prototyping dreams. That's in our mm. arts, media, and engineering school. I mean, there's just like, you keep flipping over rocks at this place. You're like, oh my God, that's cool too. How do I keep up <laughs> with it all?
0: <laughs> I'm just going to audit all of these classes.
1: Yeah. So, I, you know, have we answered the the great question of how we can help every student that you know, there's some really hard questions our society has to ask itself about a student that didn't grow up in a zip code that gave them access to any kind of privileged things, didn't, you know, are feeling very vulnerable their first year they're in school because they're working three jobs and, you know, intimidated by uh, being in college and all those things that many of those first generation students deal with. For them also to sort of grasp a lot of the what you need to know to be in a design school, I think is really challenging for a lot of them. So have we solved that puzzle hundred percent yet? Probably not, but it's something we're paying a lot of attention to. And I can say ASU is definitely the place that's figured out a lot of those support systems to help those kinds of students succeed in a more general way. So that's built into the system here, which is really helpful. Um, And again, I mean, how is our society going to change if we don't get more of those kids educated? Right. I just don't, Mm -hmm. I don't get it, you know, like unless, unless more schools do this, what we're trying to do here. I don't, understand how our society's gonna change.
0: Well, like you said, maybe you haven't solved the puzzle yet, but at least you're looking at it. Like it's it's easy to kind yeah. of ignore that. And I, I think there's all the um, you know, outside of the classroom thing that comes with the non-traditional student as well of the, you know, they're they're working two jobs in between classes or their, you know, their their families there. you know, there are all these other challenges that you don't associate with, you know, the kid who's going off to school and partying on the weekends and you know, sloughing off on his studies and whatnot.
1: Yeah. I mean, if we want to, if we want our skill to not be so white, let's just just call a spade a spade, which is the wrong metaphor to use. But, um, (laughs) you know, it's really white. Design is super white. And, you know, if we want to have people of color in it, we have got to find other ways to educate them that are more flexible. They cannot, you know, right? it's just all, and I'm saying very broad stereotypes here and some people might criticize me for, for saying them, but it's like the simple fact is if you go in my classrooms, There are 300 students, minority majority classrooms, and you ask how many of them have at least one job, 95% of them will raise their hands. Mm -hmm. And, you know, is studio, is three hour, you know, epic abouts of sitting in the way we traditionally teach design, which you've probably done this, where you had to sit in a studio for hours and hours and hours and work as much overnights and sleep, you know, is that conducive to helping these kids be successful? I don't know if that's true. I, I, I just don't know how I, but uh, but then I don't know how you get the work done if you don't spend all that time working that hard on that stuff. So mm-hmm. I mean, it's sort of been a little bit of a catch 22 in my head on it, but at least we're recognizing the problem.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think there's all kinds of these challenges. So tell me about, in your various roles, so this doesn't have to necessarily apply directly to ASU, but you know, as designers, every now and then we get stuck. And, you know, different people have different ways of kind of working through that, but what's kind of your favorite way to either shake off the cobwebs or, you know, find fresh inspiration. This is going to sound so cheesy,
1: but yoga really changed my life. (laughs) Mm. Um, I don't meditate. As you notice, I'm a little spazzy and uh, have a lot of energy. Um, I am deeply connected to my best friend, which is my phone. um, (laughs) And I need to set it down. So uh, the time I spend exercising, and especially yoga, just a, at least, you know, a couple times a week, just resetting my brain uh, was really trans- I've been practicing for about 12 years. And I'm not like, I have no criticism of the people that are super into yoga and the theory and the practice of it. But I'm not one of those people who super gets into that. I just like, there's something about the way that you move in yoga and the way it makes me turn my brain off that allows me to reset pretty quickly. Uh, so that's something that's been really meaningful to me in my life. And just like on a creative project, I, to t- I work with other people, you know, mm-hmm. call up somebody you haven't worked, you haven't spoken to in a while and just tell them where you, what, where, where you are stuck and they'll help get you unstuck. Everybody's got that friend that helps you get unstuck. I think it's a total false, this sort of falsehood of the designer sitting at their desk, toiling away until they you know design the brilliant next Guggenheim Bilbalo or whatever. I mean, that's, I mean, come on, no designer works that way nowadays. It's all group. Groupthink, and you've, that's something we really want to figure out if we can teach here. Is how do we teach people to be better? Number one, better humans who care about changing the world, but also number two, how to really accept that you do need help and that you do you are going to be working on t- large teams with lots of people in your career going forward, and you've got to work that muscle right. Bitch, be humble. I don't know any other way to say it. So, <laughs> I'm quoting a song,
0: bosses. <laughs> we'll we'll link to that in the show notes. What would you say is the biggest misperception, either of, you know, teaching in the design world or what it's like to be a design student? Do you think there's any any big ones floating around out there?
1: Gosh, I don't know if I've been in academia long enough to be able to answer that in a smart way. There's only been six months. now. Yeah, okay. <laughs> I mean, I can say that. Uh, you know, I think that the rigor that's associated with design is something that maybe other fields don't get the level of research that's happening, right? The, the researchability of a designer, mm-hmm. the way that we teach research. I think, you know, we've struggled a little bit with other schools understanding what design research is. So we went through a whole process of very clearly trying to define what design research methodologies are so that like the scientists at ASU would understand what we're doing. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, so, because we just, it's the same thing. We just call it something different, Right. So asset mapping is, a, you know, a common design term. Well, that's not what a scientist calls that kind of exercise, right? So, you know, I think that that is a big misconception that we're just sitting right, pulling things out of our imagination. It doesn't come from tons of background knowledge and research where designs are emerging from. I'd say that's something that I've seen a little bit of, but is something we're very quickly trying to fix.
0: So do you address that by... Um... Encouraging designers to use language that other research types might use, or is it more about educating other people what our language means? You know, is this just a semantics problem or reputation problem or something bigger?
1: We started with the semantics. So we literally have mapped different research methodologies and the language that surround them. And, you know... People are inventing new words for research methodologies every th- and new research methodologies every ten seconds in academia. You know that <laughs> uh, like the really basic ones, um, we're trying to very clearly define in our curriculum and our syllabi, so the students know what research methodology they're going to be learning. And so we started with the semantics, and we sort of have a little map of like this is what these people call it, and this is what we call it. And some of these are very design specific and are not done by other people, but other ones are. Um, and so we we've worked pretty hard over the last six months to get that kind of clarity.
0: What would you say is one of your proudest professional moments?
1: I am most proud of, because I just came, I mean, I haven't, I don't think I have the right to be proud of anything I've done here at the, at ASU I've been, been here long enough. And there's people who have who've been here 40 years working a lot harder than me at the NEA. I was super proud of the network, uh, networks of humans that we supported both financially and by building them as a network. Who are working really hard to make America a better place. I, we worked really, 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 really hard <laughs> through foundation partners, through nonprofit organizations, through all different kinds of folks to really make it feel like there was a field of people working as artists and as designers to make America better. And, um, I'm proud of helping those people be validated and, and proud of helping them be, see that their work was important because it is. So it's, again, I'm always going to go back to, I'm not the one who's done like an incredible project myself. It's all been all about helping other people succeed. And I think that we helped a lot of people succeed and and see that they had friends that were trying to do the same thing. That was awesome. That really felt, that was super rewarding to me.
0: Yeah. Very cool. I think based on that answer, um, I'm going to add a little nuance to this next question, which is, If you have any dream projects that you'd like to do in the future, or maybe we'll say um, any any big goals that you'd like to accomplish in the future,
1: I would like to see this school, and it's no secret, uh, very directly teach. I'm going to do. You know who Cheryl Heller is? She's awesome. Mm -hmm. She created the first Masters of Social Innovation at SVA. She came and spoke to us about how to do that, and she talked about power skills, not soft skills, right? Mm -hmm. They're not soft skills, they're power skills. (laughs) So those power skills of understanding how democracy works, understanding the implicit biases that are built into our society and how you have to design with with communities, not for them, understanding uh, how to be an entrepreneur, understanding how to be a social innovator. I mean, these are skill sets that are understood skill sets in the world, but we don't teach very often or consistently in design schools. And I want to, I mean, the kind of change we can make happen here at ASU is, you know, we graduate 400 designers a year. If I can graduate 400 designers a year who are emerging into the world with skill sets in their back pockets that are, whether they choose to use them or not, are at least going to orient them to building a better world, I think that's a lot of transformation. So that's one of my goals is to make sure that these really amazing humans that are stepping through, paying a lot of money to step through our doors, not much of other places, but obviously, but some money. If we can help them be great humans, I think we'll make the world a lot better place.
0: Yeah, that's a great answer. Who would you count as maybe one or more of your design heroes? That's not a fair question. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I don't want to pick favorites. Uh, there's a set of women I really admire who are working on building out community-engaged design in um, architecture and landscape architecture and interior architecture Folks like Liz Agbu, Barbara Brown-Wilson, Christine Gaspar, and many, many, many other really incredible women who, have, who are working very hard to change the architectural field and provide to students um, some of those power skill sets I was talking about.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Gosh, I really admire them. They're kind of a Gen X generation of women who are just serious about this. They started something called Design Futures, which allows... Um, Allows, it's not the Design Future Council, it's different design futures, which is really all about helping students kind of go through some training around implicit biases, but also work on community-based projects, which I find really um, amazing. Gosh, I mean, I think I talked about it a little bit earlier. I really admire folks like Chris Donaldson. I really admire Heather Fleming. I really admire... I mean, John Kerry is an amazing human. I'm sure you know who he is, who is a design advocate and connector. I'm listing all these Gen X people my own age. I guess I should list some elders. <laughs> you know, I mean, I, I, all the same heroes as everybody else.
0: Hey, Gen X doesn't yeah. get enough credit ever.
1: Seriously, man. I'm <laughs> sick of us not getting credit. I I really, really, really admire when someone just does shit. I don't know what else to say. You know, just is like sick of the inherent patriarchies and racial problems in our society is just like, I'm just, just going to start doing stuff, right? Mm-hmm. And there were a lot of people at DNA we supported who were just like, they just started a nonprofit and started doing something because shit has up, right? And those are my heroes, right? The people that are just out there getting stuff done. They're not the ones that are typically held up through our, you know, they're, they're not the ones getting the awards out there or whatever. Um, but those are the people that are actually making the real difference. And those are my heroes. I mean, do I have other nerdy design people I really admire? Like, I love Kevin Lynch's writing. I love Jane Jacobs as an urban planner. Those are my heroes. As you know, in the industrial design field, I can list a bunch. You know, I, Bill Mogridge. I work out, I was fortunate enough to work with him. listing all these old white people, which isn't helpful. <laughs> Michael Bayrou. I mean, you know, I mean, there's, there's all these amazing people we all know are amazing, but there's also been tons of people on the ground and all these organizations really working hard for years um, to put design to work for good that I think a lot serve a lot more accolade.
0: Lovely. Well, as you said at the top of the show, you are obsessed with design. So I'm I'm curious what you would list as the thing that you find you are most obsessed with right now.
1: This is embarrassing. But have you heard about that music artist, Poppy, who's a, like this totally weird, surreal, we can't tell she's playing a joke on us, highly designed up. YouTube and Instagram star. Oh, no, <laughs> I don't know about pop. She's totally weird. <laughs> she's so weird. I can't decide. Like, I can't decide if it's like a joke on all of us, or she's serious and trying to be famous. But there's a whole, been a lot of writing about her recently. I'm kind of obsessing over that. I'm obsessing over the design of Black Panther. Like I just told you, yeah. Because there's been tons of awesome writing about how hard they worked to to make the design of that really relevant to that community. Um, my other current design obsessions. I'm not going to say cat videos, no, I'm just kidding. Um <laughs> yeah, Poppy's on my radar this week. It'll be something else next week. Uh I just think it's the weirdest thing I've seen in a long time and I like seeing a young person, really young person kind of challenging the platform, challenging the kind of way that people are using these current social media platforms to get fame. I think she's she's doing something really funny and weird and ironic. She works with this other guy.
0: Anyways, well we will definitely have to check her out in the show notes as well. What do you think? Either is the best piece of advice that you've received professionally, or maybe one of your favorite pieces of of advice to pass along to students or faculty.
1: Oh, I've got lots of them. I would say my nothing will help you succeed like being optimistic (laughs) and nice. Mm -hmm. It is all about kindness and niceness in this world. I've seen really famous people who are jerks not get get projects or things that they want to. That because they're just assholes that no one wants to work with, right? Um, no one wants to work with a jerk. Just be nice for Christ's sake. It's not that hard, you know, (laughs) and just be like, be kind and be generous. Um, all those things really, really matter. And I mean, being humble is a really big lesson. I think a lot of young people need to learn. I was really fortunate when I was at the NEA that I had so Wyatt T. Walker, the Martin Luther King's chief of staff just passed away. Amazing man. His daughter, Patrice Walker Powell, was my boss at the NEA. And to have a woman who comes from that American, beautiful place as a boss was a really life-changing experience for me. And, um, there were many times she taught me to, she brought, brought me down a peg and taught me to be humble and taught me that things are about how to be a leader and to, you know, have tolerance for when you need to let things slide as long as it's still moving things in the good, right direction. So, being humble is incredibly important in this life um, to be successful. I don't want to make any generalizations about how so many people are so self promoting right now, because that's probably somewhat also necessary. But, you know, it's not all about you. <laughs> it really isn't. It's about the work. Be a nice person and be humble.
0: That's great. Well put. Jason, first of all, it's been an honor chatting with you today. But before we let you go, Um, maybe you could let our listeners know where they could learn more about you or more about ASU or anything else you want to share with us.
1: Sure. I mean, our redesign website's going to be redesign.school and you can learn more about ASU at design.asu.edu. Very simple. And if you want to stalk me, you're welcome to stalk me on Instagram (laughs) or, uh, you know, be my Facebook friend. I'm happy to interact with anyone at any time. I love talking to people about any of this stuff. So yeah, I'm... uh, I'm also on LinkedIn. I don't check that
0: quite as much. Awesome. Well, Jason, thank you for chatting with us today and thank you for being obsessed with design. Okay, kids, that's show number 95, officially in the books. You can get all of today's show notes on our website at obsessedshow.com. And if you haven't already, while you're there, add your email address to our newsletter. I'll update you on some of my favorite new episodes and some cool things that I find in my daily obsessions. Twitter is one of our favorite ways to receive recommendations for new guests. Tweet to at obsessed show. And I'm at Josh miles. Let us know who you think we should interview next. Head over to iTunes to subscribe to obsessed with design. We'd love to have a rating and review to help others find the show. Obsessed with design is a product of the design obsessed team at miles Herndon, a branding agency in beautiful downtown Indianapolis. Our show is always edited by Jen Eds at the Brassy Broadcast Company. Visit BrassyBroad.com to learn more. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.